Welcome back to another episode of 5am Theology. Chris, over the years, you and I have sent thousands of text messages to each other. Yes. And I would guess that if we categorized all those messages, the ones that point out how passages of scripture that we're reading that day pertains to other passages somewhere in the Bible would probably be in the top 10 of categories. Yeah, probably. And that's kind of why we started this 5 a.m. podcast, because that's usually when they were happening. And I think as the years go on, those texts are more and more frequent because the more we read and study the Bible, the more we see those connections. We're doing foundational truths in the book of Genesis in No Trash, Just Truth. And a huge benefit of it has been how those foundational truths repeat throughout the whole Bible. Yeah, without a doubt. This week in our daily reading, we're in the book of Exodus, and I was struck anew by a really familiar passage, the golden calf, which is found in Exodus 32. Just a quick recap, Moses was up on Mount Sinai meeting with God, getting the Ten Commandments, among other things, and we don't know how long he was up there, but Exodus 32.1 starts out by the people saying that it was taking Moses a long time to come back down. We talked a couple of weeks ago about waiting on God's timing. So that's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is Aaron's role in the whole golden calf debacle and how he points to a truth we see played out several times in scripture and a truth that's led to some real problems in the world today. And that's passive men. They can be deadly or lethal. Yeah, they can. In the golden calf story, the Israelites are complaining that it's taking Moses a long time to come down. And then Exodus 32, 1 goes on to say, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they say, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Aaron was the chief priest. And in the absence of Moses, he was the leader of God's people. He was responsible for them. He was their head. So here are the Israelites ready and wanting to commit a grievous sin. They wanted phony gods that they could worship and that they could follow. All of these people, every one of them had seen the miracles that God had performed to protect them and deliver them from slavery in Egypt. And they were seeing miracles every day now because he was taking care of their needs by giving them manna. So they had no excuse for their despicable actions. but. Aaron had directly heard from God and had participated in God's miracles. As the leader, he should have immediately put a stop to this. And he should have reprimanded the Israelites for their sin and reminded them of God's truth. But, but that's not what he does. Exodus 32, 2-4 to four, goes on to say, So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So instead of being a strong, godly leader, reprimanding the people and reminding them of God's word and the truth, Aaron was passive, and worse yet, he went along with the Israelites' plan. 
Chris, this is only the second book of the Bible, but we've seen this scenario play out three previous times. The first was back in the Garden of Eden where Adam, instead of being the strong spiritual leader he was appointed to be by God and reminding Eve of God's directive of the only one rule they had to follow, he passively let her converse with Satan and he meekly took the fruit from her and took a bite. And of course, we all know what a disaster that turned into. Yeah, it had consequences for every single person for the rest of history. Yep. And we saw it with Abram. Instead of reprimanding his wife, Sarai, when she got tired of waiting for God to give her a son and reminding her of God's promise to them, he was passive. And he meekly went along with her plan to sleep with her maid servant, Hagar, which led to the birth of Ishmael, who would become one of the fathers of the most fierce enemies of God's people, the Muslims. Talk about long-reaching consequences. Yep. And we saw it with Jacob. Instead of faithfully and diligently leading God's people, which at the time was his own family, Jacob was passive and did absolutely nothing to step in when his children sinned. He did nothing when Reuben slept with his stepmom, and he didn't even address it until he was on his deathbed. He did nothing when his daughter Dinah was raped, which led to his sons Simeon and Levi, killing all of the males in the city of Shechem. He was passive when his wives were trading fruit in exchange for sleeping with him. I mean, they were buying him sleeping with him. Yeah. And he went along with it. And he was passive when animosity and jealousy was brewing between his sons. And the result was a whole city of men ambushed and killed. A daughter who has to live in seclusion for the rest of her life. Bitter rivalry between his wives and a son being sold into slavery. Yep. And it's not like it stops in the book of Exodus. If we look ahead in scripture to the book of First Samuel, we see it with David. David was a good and godly king, but he's a lousy father. He was passive yep. and never stepped in to lead his own family. The result was one son raping his half-sister who was disgraced for the rest of her life. And another of his sons killed the rapist's son and then he wanted to kill his father, David, and take his throne. The situation with all of these men is the same. Instead of being strong, godly leaders, they were passive. They neglected to speak truth into the situations and lead God's people when it was needed most. And a lot of times it was with their wives. Yep. They stood by and sometimes even participated in that sin. From creation, God appointed men to lead their wives and their families and God's people. Paul expounds on this in a few places. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, for example. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And 1 Corinthians eleven three. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. And there are just a few of the places that scripture points out men are to lead, they're to be strong. God made it clear that men, like I said, are to lead, they're to be good, they're to be godly, they're to be strong, they're to be men. They're not to be meek and passive, allowing their wives, their children, or anyone else that's put under them, cause them to compromise on God's word. 
And we're not trying to put a lot of pressure on men because even a good, strong, godly leader can't keep his wife or the people under him from sinning all the time. But he's not supposed to sit idly by why they do sin. And he's certainly not to participate in that sin because he doesn't have the backbone to stand up to his wife or anyone else and speak truth into the situation. Absolutely. This passivity and this lack of strong godly leadership from men, along with women who are happy to pounce on it and assume the leadership role, has led us down a bad path. Rose, as you were talking about that, I couldn't help but think how many churches have suffered over years and years and actually decades because the husbands stopped going to church and the wives. Yes. Good point. Thankfully, the wives still went, thankfully, but the men should have stepped up to the plate and still gone. Yep. Good point. And women taking over roles is why men have been emasculated in society. For decades now, we've been fed the lie on movies and in TV shows that a 110-pound woman in stilettos can take out a 200-pound muscle man with a punch or a kick. And I think that has certainly contributed to men thinking that there's no reason why they shouldn't be allowed to compete in sports against women. They're equal, right? Yep. It's also led to women pretty much calling all the shots when it comes to aborting their babies with the father having absolutely no say at all. I mean, he really doesn't. And Rose, I just heard something yesterday and I hadn't really ever thought this through, but transgenderism isn't fighting against feminism. It's the actual end result of feminism. And if you absolutely. think it's it totally makes sense. That's right. Think it's through, think it through to its logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. There you go. And Chris, the sad irony of all this is that deep down, women don't even want a passive man for a husband. Some secular and pretty liberal sources had some pretty interesting articles that I read. Forbes magazine had an article about Dr. Mornell. He's a psychologist and he's a marriage counselor. He started giving lectures in the late 70s, and his conclusion about relationships based on hundreds of couples that he spoke with and counseled, he said by far the single thing that was the biggest problem in marriages and even caused rage in the wives was a passive husband. He said he saw that pattern over and over again. They allowed their wives to call all the shots, make the decisions, rear the children, run the house to do pretty much everything. And the wives couldn't stand it. The wives wanted their husbands to take charge and get involved. They wanted their husbands to be men. As you were saying that, before you even got to the conclusion, I was thinking to myself, how often do you hear women complain? My husband never talks to me. My husband never helps with the children. Yeah, it totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Another source said that the women they interviewed overall said that they preferred a strong man because they feel like they couldn't be everything and they wanted a guy who could balance them out. The women wanted someone that they could go to and share good news with and bad news with. They wanted somebody who would stand strong with them and not fail. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. I have always said, Ed is my rock. I yeah, agree. Same. Yep. When we had Tom Askell on No Trash, Just Truth, he said that the church needs strong, godly pastors to stand up to the sin infiltrating into the church. He said things like liberalism, attack on scripture, trying to remake Jesus. 
homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, and so much more was infiltrating into the church. And he said the pastors, now, of course, they're male pastors, need to be in the front line. They need to be strong and steadfast anchors leading their people away from these sins and leading them to the truth of God's word. And this should trickle down to families. Christian men need to be strong, godly leaders of their family, guiding them to remain under the authority of the Bible and going to church, Chris, since you were talking about that. And men should be steering their families away from giving in to societal pressures that could lead them into sin. Yeah. In Luke eleven twenty one to 24, Jesus tells us why it's crucial that men are to be strong, godly leaders. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. And Paul reiterates this in 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 12, which says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these evils. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's a good place to end this morning. Have a blessed morning, everyone.